Hey everyone, Dave Therian here. Thanks for joining me today, New Hope Radio and the Hope Club Podcast. So great to just spend some time around the Word of God. I'll tell you why, isn't it? I don't know, I find it so refreshing. Sometimes, you know, you feel a little down, a little discouraged, and you get into God's Word, it's just it's like fresh air, fresh oxygen that goes into the soul. I hope that's what it is for you. We're looking at some of the things that Jesus said to his disciples. We know he said a lot of things to a lot of people. But we're focusing on what he said to the twelve. His inner circle. His little group. That intimate group of followers. You know, he actually gave them long dissertations. Before he sent them out to preach the kingdom in different cities. We're going to see one of those dissertations today. It has to do with the divisive aspect of the gospel. I'm like, what? You mean the gospel can be divisive? (laughs) That's what Jesus said. We're going to see how and why today. By the way, I want to remind you about our Christmas services. We have Christmas Eve. 7 p.m. this year, and Christmas morning, 10 a.m. We have a regular Sunday service on December 24th in the morning at 10, but the Christmas service will be Christmas Eve, 7 p.m., and Christmas morning, 10 a.m. All right, so let's talk about this divisive nature of the gospel. And what is it that makes it so divisive? That's what we're going to see today. It's divisive because it brings a division between people. And the division is based on how they respond to it. It's too bad that there are varying responses to the same good news. huh? Everybody hears the same message, but yet there are different responses to that message. And here's the message. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. What a beautiful message. And yet, there are different responses people have. Some people are like, yeah, I like that. Other people, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear the good news, that God loves them that he sent his son for them, that their belief in him will give them everlasting life. I don't know what's going on. So Jesus, he warns the disciples that the gospel will not unify all people, but it will divide some. So we pick it up in Matthew 10, verse 34. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, granted, at this time they were being sent to the Jews only, because in Matthew 10, 5, these 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles, do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, 
the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, Jesus knew many of the Jews, the religious ones, would have a problem with him. And they did. They had a hard time with that message. You know why? I don't know. They like to see people under the law. They like to see people do things in order to gain God's attention. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, you know what? You don't have to do. You just have to believe. That's all. And and this division, you know, it goes on today as well, doesn't it? And many churches, sadly, we have divided families over the gospel. That there are family members, think about it, of the same family. There are some that go to a Christian church where they're being taught salvation is based on faith and faith alone in the shed blood of Christ. And then others go to a religious type of a church where salvation is based on works or someone else, and there's a division in the family. Every church has it. And, you know, the outside world looks at that and they're like, why are these people so divided? Matter of fact, even in the outside world, people rally together to stand against Jesus Christ. They even go so far as to form their own religion in order to do so. Think of all the religions in the world that keep out Christ. (laughs) How many? How about like thousands? They have their own religions, but they keep out Christ. How, How do they think they can get to God? Without Christ, they can't. You know, recently... There, there was a gathering of Satan worshipers at the Satanic Temple in Boston, Massachusetts. Now, this Satanic Temple was established in 2013, and it is a federally funded, recognized religious organization that describes itself as dedicated to proactive and promotion of individual rights. And here's what they say to back that up. We bow to no God or gods and celebrate our outsider status. So that's what the the satanic temple, that's what that church is built on. We, We bow to no God or gods. See, we believe in the individual rights of every person. That means that we give us our rights, not God. And they revel in their rebellion against God. Well, in Matthew 10.35, Jesus said, I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Wow. That's what the gospel will do. It divides people based on their faith. You know, there's nothing more beautiful than a family worshiping together in a Christian church. Father, mother, son, daughter, all joining together to worship the Lord Jesus. And maybe there's not much more hurtful than a family divided over that very same thing. And it goes on. We have traditional religious people For some reason, they just don't understand the gospel or they refuse to understand the gospel. And by refusing to understand the gospel, they miss out on the joy that comes from what the gospel brings. 
So Jesus, when he called his disciples, he's actually calling them into a warfare. How often do we hear that at an altar call in church? Instead of calling people into a life of blessing, we're actually calling them into a life of warfare. That if they accept the commission to be a messenger of the kingdom, it is a calling of an uncompromising nature. You cannot compromise the gospel because you can't compromise truth. So Jesus offers his followers four things. Okay, number one, come and follow me. I offer you a spiritual battle that you must fight. In this battle, it'll split friends. You know, people have grown up together to be the best of friends, and one gets saved, and all of a sudden they're ostracized. Or that friendly group breaks up. And I say, if you're true friends, then respect their faith. Respect their newfound faith. But no. So the gospel creates a battle that will split friends. It'll split homes. It'll split groups of people. One man said, to be confronted with Jesus is necessarily to be confronted with the choice whether to accept or to reject him. And that's true. There's no middle ground. You either accept Christ or we reject him. That's it. There's two choices. So because of these two choices, we have two sides of the line. On one side are those who've accepted him, and on the other side are those who have rejected him. And that's how the world stands divided today. You know, we're divided mainly not by race, not by boundaries, not by culture. We're divided by what we think of Christ. Those that accept Christ as Savior, they're on one side. Jesus called them the sheep. Those that reject him, they're on the other side. Jesus called them the goats. That's it. They're sheep and goats. Nothing else. So we have to decide which one, which flock will I run with? Will I run with the sheep? Will I run with the goats? The bitter pill is that even a home is divided. A family member against family member. That's the battle. Secondly, Christ offers a choice. And this choice is between the close ties of earth and loyalty to him. That's the choice. Here's what Jesus said in verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, at first reading, that sounds a little strange. What? What happened to honor your father and mother? Well, this does not lessen family love or family affection. You know what it does? It elevates affection toward Christ. What he's saying is, listen, you see all the love that you have for your family? Then take that love and put it toward Christ. That's what he's saying. Love him that way. Don't love him with like a head knowledge. Don't love him with a wink of the eye. Love him as family. This is an acknowledgement of his supremacy. Love him more than family. He is supreme. There's no one more supreme than the Lord Jesus. Thirdly, 
Christ offers, oh, here it comes, a cross. He does. He offers a cross. In verse 38, he said to his disciples, he who does not take up his cross and follow after me, he's not worthy of me. Wow. Kind of a far cry from the blessings we hear on altar calls, isn't it? Now, the Jews were not unfamiliar with the Roman crosses of crucifixion. Oh, no. The streets were lined with zealots that rebelled against Rome. It was commonplace to see these men that were um, kind of like militia men, the Minutemen that fought against Rome for Jewish freedom. And they were, when they were caught by the Romans, they were hung up on a cross for everybody to see. You want that to happen to you? And you better stay put. You better be quiet. You better not rise up against us. That'll be you on that cross. That was the message. The cross was for those who conspired against Rome. It's a picture of giving one's life to something. That's what it is. These Jewish zealots, they knew what waited for them if they get caught. But they were willing to give their life to their cause. They were fighting for Jewish freedom. And if they were caught and crucified, so be it. That's how much they valued it. And so should the one sent by God. He or she should realize a denial of oneself and the fulfillment of the commission. And what did Jesus say about that denial? You know what he said? He said this in the garden. Not my will, but thine be done. Jesus was all about the will of the Father. And I think about, you know, the the disciples of the Lord. When they went out, they were sent out. And he's telling them, listen, it can't be about you. It's got to be about me. It's not about your will. It's about my will. Are you willing to put your life on the line for me? And that same challenge goes to us today. You know, we have too many compromising Christians. Too many convenient Christians. We know the battle of the flesh and the spirit, and too much the flesh wins. We give in to the flesh and we call it grace. It's not grace when you give in to the flesh. It's not grace. Okay? So the, the, the key to following Christ is to count the cost. That's the key. The fourth thing Jesus offers, he offers a higher expectation. In verse 39, he said, He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. What does that mean? It means that whatever outcome a man or a woman would expect from their life by keeping it, by keeping their life to themselves and, you know, they're their own person, they're going to do what they want every day. By doing that, it doesn't compare to the outcome when they truly give their life to Christ. It doesn't compare. You always get more back when you give your life to Christ. Look at your life right now. How's it working for you? If you're getting more back, keep giving your life. If you're not, it's time. Remember John Bunyan? John Bunyan lived in the 1600s. He was saved from his life of debauchery. This guy was like, 
Lowlife. He was the poster boy for Lowlife. Swore, drunk, bad guy. He refused, but what happened? He got saved. He got saved. God can save anybody if he can save John Bunyan. And John Bunyan refused to join the Church of England. Nope, I'm not joining those guys. Too rigid, too orthodox. So he held his own evangelistic meetings. He was arrested and thrown into jail. And had he not taken his stance for the truth of the Word of God, who would have known about John Bunyan and there would never be a Pilgrim's Progress? Pilgrim's Progress is a book that he wrote. It sold 250 million copies. What? In the 1600s. I mean, he wrote it in the 1600s. And here we are hundreds of years later. People still buying that book. Have you read it? I read it. It's one of those Christian books everybody needs to read. It's about our journey. It's our journey toward the promised land. But think about it. It took John Bunyan, number one, standing for truth against the Orthodox Church. Number two, willing to pay the price and get tossed in jail. And number three, taking that jail experience and turning it into good and produce Pilgrim's Progress. And over 250 million copies have been sold. It's pretty incredible. Some of the greatest men of biblical history, you know why they achieved greatness? Because they took a stand. They put their life on the line for what they believed. That's what they did. They said, I believe this with all my life. And if I have to pay for it with my life, so be it. Think about it. Think about the quality of believer that God is looking for today. He's looking for people that are willing to stand up and be faithful. Here it comes, no matter what. Can you be a no matter what Christian? Can you be faithful no matter what? Faithful in the face of compromise? Faithful faithful in the face of convenience? In the face of temptation. Oh, faithful in the presence of old habits that try to come back and control you, trap you, trap you like a rat. Can you stand up and be faithful? That's what God is looking for. The eyes of the Lord go throughout the whole earth, looking for those whose hearts are completely his. Because God wants to show himself strong. You know what I believe? That if your heart truly belongs to God, God will pour his strength into you. And he'll give you that strength for that battle. And you'll be victorious. So think about it. Let's summarize what we've seen today. There is no place for a policy of safety first in the Christian life. Wow. You want to play it safe? Well, that's not what defines Christianity. I mean, here in America, we don't see the persecution that goes on in Sri Lanka certain countries in Africa. We don't see the persecution that goes on in China and Russia against Christians, where governments are pagan governments and they've outlawed Christianity and people will still be faithful to Christ no matter what it costs them. They're willing to pay the price. These are the people that will get the golden crowns in heaven. 
You want a golden crown? You'll get one. Be willing to pay the price. Don't be satisfied with salvation. Strive for the reward. You know why? It glorifies God. That's why. The things one seeks on the earth, oh, they can be attained. Hey, you can you can go after everything you see. You can get everything you want. And I'll tell you what, they will never bring fulfillment to the one called by God and sent into this world. And people have said it. People have attained everything. And when they did, they said, oh, I thought there would be more to it. You know, the suicide rate among Hollywood people and the drug addiction rate among millionaires in Hollywood, why? They got it all. Fame, fortune, got it all. And they're so empty. And they're so unfulfilled. Why is that? Because it doesn't get it done. We are created with a spiritual void inside of us that only God can fill. And the sooner people realize that, the sooner they'll be filled. See, that's the difference between a donut with a hole in it and a jelly-filled donut. The hole, the donut with the hole in it, right? It's empty. It's void. That's like the person without God. But the jelly-filled? Mm-hmm. That jelly, you know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that void has been filled. I like mine filled with lemon. Lemon-filled donut, chocolate-covered. Are you kidding? That's the best. But when it's filled, now you've got contentment. See, empty is uncontentment. Filled is contentment. Filled comes from God. Empty comes from the world. So, here's what Jesus is saying. Everything we gain in this life, right, will be lost. Why? It's all temporal anyway. It's like, you know, John said in the book of Revelation that this world is going to roll, be rolled up like a scroll and whoosh, tossed away. Every accomplishment by any human being will be forgotten, gone. But the things that have been done in God will remain forever. Your works can remain forever when you do them in God. So you, you, you seek to save your life and you lose it. But if you give your life away, you save it. The Christian life is not a life of taking. It's a life of giving. That's what it is. God so loved the world that what? He gave. He gave. Loving is giving. It's not taking. It's giving. And it's true what Jesus said. It is more blessed to give than receive. Well, that's why you're running around buying Christmas presents. Because it's blessed to give. There's a joy in giving. So you can really gain. You can gain in this life. And you can gain in eternity things that will last forever. By giving your life to Him. Count the cost. Pay the price. Be a zealot for God rather than be a zealot for this world. Even Jesus said, you know, the God of this world is coming to me, but he's got nothing in me. Satan was the God of this world and he was going to offer Jesus the whole world. And Jesus is like, you can give me the whole world and that still won't do it for me. That's not, the will of God does it for me. 
Not the world. Devil, you can give me the world. It does nothing. But the will of God, we saw this last time, the will of God, that's the food that I eat. To, to do his will and to accomplish his work. You want to be fulfilled? Do the will of God. You want to be content? Do the will of God. You want to be satisfied? Do the will of God. And stop running around trying to satisfy your flesh. Because that's a temporal satisfaction. And you know what? The next day, you're back at it again. You're back at it. And it's an unending search for happiness. We never find it until we not only find Christ, but stick with Christ and walk with him and serve him and give your life to him. And if you can't love him, like Jesus said, more than anybody else, you're not worthy. Wow. That's what he said. You're not even worthy of me. If you can't love me first and foremost about everything, above everything, you're not even worthy of me. Strong language. But I could say amen to that. You know why? Because he is worthy. He is worthy to be loved above everything and everyone. Because he's done for us what no one else could ever do or even would ever do. He is worthy. Put him first in your life and watch the difference that it makes. Hey, we got something new that we're doing now, too. Been a couple of weeks. Uh, we have an Instagram account. Every Monday through Friday, if you're an early bird, 6 a.m., I do a morning devotional just to get you started off on the right foot. Get you tuned up for the day on Instagram. Dave Therry on Instagram or Therry in 6034. Everybody's got a number after their name. So you can get up at 6 and catch it live, or you can watch it later on during the day. Because it's up there all the time on Instagram, okay? Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. we start. And again, a reminder about our Christmas services. Our Christmas service will be Christmas Eve at night, 7 p.m. And Christmas morning, 10 a.m. Two Christmas services. And uh, if you don't have a church that's having a service, come on out. We're going to sing Christmas songs and talk about the birth of Christ and celebrate God's gift to us. In Jesus Christ. It's going to be a great night. It's always beautiful here at New Hope for Christmas. And our praise team works so hard. Everybody works so hard to make it a wonderful service. And it certainly will be. 